for the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm Kate Scott. This is the update. On today's show. You know, it is not often that you get the opportunity to open a brand new state-of-the-art arena in one of the most well-known major cities in the world, only to be forced to close that same arena just seven months later. But because of the COVID-19 pandemic, that is exactly what the general manager of Chase Center, Kim Stone, was forced to do. And despite the multitude of problems that Stone is attempting to solve at the moment, she was kind enough to gift us 20 minutes of her time. So in part one of our two-part conversation with Stone, we learn how a graduate of North Carolina's School of Journalism found her way into venue management and how that path took her from 23 years at American Airlines Arena in Miami to our city by the bay. It's Monday, March 30th. Well, Kim, thank you so much for coming on today. I imagine you expected it to be an eventful start to your tenure out here in the Bay, but did you expect it to be this eventful? Well, it is such a pleasure to join you all today. And I would not have guessed this by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> and first and foremost, the most important thing is that this community and quite honestly, the entire nation comes out of this healthy and safe and it has been a challenge among challenges, but you know, I'm up for it. I've been through some similar crises in my 30 years in Miami with Category 5 hurricanes. And I'm pretty resilient and can roll with the punches. But the most important thing here is that everybody's safe and we get on the backside of this. And as I have seen in my career, this too shall pass. But let's do the right things. Let's do the responsible things. And then let's all get together and celebrate when we can. Yeah, that sounds great. And looking forward to getting all of those stories. But before we get into kind of where things are now, I love hearing where people with really important jobs like you have these days, where they started. So I read that you got your journalism and mass communications degree back at North Carolina. What were your first couple of jobs out of school, Kim? Great question. Thanks for taking me back. I'm a very proud Tar Heel. So I was fortunate my last year at North Carolina to have an internship at USA Boxing out at the U.S. Olympic Center. And my boss there got me my first job in the sports industry. And it was at the University of Miami as assistant sports information director. And it was, I'll just say it's in the early 90s. And (laughs) it was during a time that Dennis Erickson was the head coach. So I had the good fortune in my first two years that University of Miami back then was a powerhouse in football. They aren't where they were. I just happened to be there in the good times. And we won a national championship in 2002. And so during that time, I got to be around some amazing sports writers, and somebody gave me a referral to the University of Texas. So I left UM, went to the University of Texas for two years, an amazing program there, enjoyed that. But in my time in Miami, I had become an avid beach volleyball player, and I was landlocked in Texas and um, (laughs) missed all my friends back in South Florida. So I, I left Texas, came back, and got a job back in the sports information department at the University of Miami and did that for another year. And during that time, I was on the part-time on the stats crew for the Miami Heat. And in that time, the team was going through um, an ownership change, and there became a lot of shuffling amongst the full-time staff, and uh, there became an opening in the PR department for the Miami Heat. And so that, I jumped from being part-time stats crew, I left the University of Miami and became an assistant sports publicity director for the Miami Heat. And in good luck, which has followed me my entire life, I was hired one month before Pat Riley. And I'll never forget the first day we were in small confined spaces in an old arena in Miami that, that no longer exists. And I'll never forget, I was in the coffee room pouring coffee. My back was to the door. And literally, I felt his presence walk in. 
and I hear this booming voice say, how's the coffee here? And I turn around. Back then there was no social media, so it didn't leak that Pat Riley was coming to the heat. And sure enough, I turn around and there he is standing in the doorway. And I'm like, it's not too bad. And, you know, got to hand him perhaps what was his first cup in Miami and then spent the rest of my time working, you know, with him and, and the amazing group down in Miami. And until about a year ago, I accepted this job and came out here. But did a lot of things with the Miami Heat in my 23 years with them. But that's sort of how I got started. Thank you for sharing that, Kim. And I love that story about the coffee. And I, too, miss those days of no social media from time to time. Um, just <laughs> just so that you can have those stories and share them maybe for the first time on podcasts like this. But you didn't just, you know, work around at American Airlines Arena and with the Miami Heat. You worked your way up from that entry-level PR job to overseeing the day-to-day operations of the arena. So how did you work your way up? I had the great fortune young in my career that the team at the time was just a tenant in the old Miami arena. And so they were, along with the county in Miami, building a new arena that the team would operate. So I basically am reliving that here with the Golden State Warriors because in this transition, the Warriors went from being a tenant to now operating and here the Warriors also own the arena, which is a fantastic thing. So back in, in my time in Miami, I spent the first four years traveling with the basketball team, traveling with Pat. It was during the Alonzo morning, Tim Hardaway, struggles and rivalry with the New York Knicks. So four years doing that, we built and opened American Airlines Arena. And so I transitioned and I, at that time, just kept raising my hand throughout the next 20 years of just saying, hey, I'm interested in helping with that. I'm interested in doing that. And one of those key jobs was as we were coming into the new venue, we needed additional programming. And we were operating it, said we were going to operate a WNBA team. So I got out in the forefront of that, helped build the publicity. The NBA granted us a team, and then we ran that for three years. Unfortunately, in Miami, when we opened the building down there, things didn't quite work out so well. And we had a change in our president and he divested us of a lot of the ancillary businesses we had gotten into. And frankly, so said we need to get back to just focusing on the heat and focusing on running the building. So that meant that the WNBA team, we returned it to the NBA because we only had rights agreement. All that's getting into the weeds a little bit. But so what happened when we got rid of the WNBA team is I was out of a job. I was one of those people that wasn't doing, I had been senior director of operations. And during my time with the soul, I had um, enrolled and had gotten my master's in business administration at the University of Miami during that same time, because I really enjoyed the business side of things. And so I thought I was out of a job. And fortunately for me, both the basketball operations of the Miami Heat and the business operations, both of them asked me if I would join their divisions. And so I made the leap over to the business side because I really enjoyed the business aspect of it and started working directly for our president. I was his chief of staff for two years. And then we got a guy named Shaquille O'Neal and paired him (laughs) with a rookie named Dwayne Wade. Yep. I've heard of those two. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Exactly. And so then our president said, I don't need a chief of staff anymore. I need somebody that would be vice president of service because our season ticket base exploded. And so I said, well, I haven't done that, but I'll figure it out. And he's like, I know you'll figure it out. So I started in 2004, became the vice president of service for the season ticket base, which was at the time was one of the largest in the NBA and was responsible for the service and retention. And then in 2006, our president came to me again and said, hey, listen, we've just lost 
our second general manager in six years at American Airlines Arena. So would you be interested in running the arena? I looked at him and said, I don't have a facilities background. <laughs> you know, the best remark he said is, I'm not hiring you to change the light bulbs. I'm hiring you for your leadership. So clearly I said yes and um, spent the next 13 years running the arena and still overseeing the service and retention of the season ticket holder base. And then just over time, I added additional responsibilities to the mobile app our business intelligence and data analytics. I sort of have this very unique path throughout my career. And I was just really fortunate. The Miami Heat organization is an amazing incubator for people because the leadership they teach you, you're given opportunities to succeed. They'll be there to support you if you stumble along the way. And it it was just an amazing place to sort of cut my teeth and grow as an executive. And so when this opportunity came around, I could have retired in Miami, but there were sort of three criteria I had for leaving. And one was I had to work for an amazing leader. And Rick Welch checks that box because I was with an amazing leader in Miami with Eric Orr. The second criteria was it had to be in a major city. And San Francisco checks that box. And then the third thing was the venue had to be transformative to the community. I think as I have seen and as happened at American Airlines Arena, you can change a community if you focus on the community and become a fabric of the community. And Chase Center checks that box as well, being the first arena in San Francisco in decades. And so those were the three things. And that's a long, I'll stop there. (laughs) (laughs) uh, It's been a unique, different career, but it's been amazing. And I am just so fortunate. I've been around some amazing people and just have loved every hour of my day throughout my career. And we loved hearing such an in-depth version of the journey that brought Kim here to the Bay Area last year. So we decided to keep it all in. Why not? And turn this into a two-part conversation with Stone. So on Wednesday, we'll get into the details of that Category 5 hurricane she mentioned dealing with in Miami. How it prepared her for what she and the Warriors are going through now. And her biggest concerns while COVID-19 forces the ongoing closure of Chase Center. Until then, thanks for listening to today's show. In addition to the conclusion of our conversation with Kim... In the next few weeks, we'll also recap Bob Bugner's short stint as interim head coach of the Sharks and see if he's earned more time behind the bench with our Kevin Kurz. We'll also break down the Will Clark for Don Mattingly trade that, thank goodness, never happened with Giants columnist Grant Brisby. As always, if you're enjoying the pod, we'd love for you to rate, review, subscribe. Those five-star reviews really do help us keep things going here at the Athletic Podcast Network. For all of us here at The Update, I'm Kate Scott. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back with the uh, conclusion of our conversation with Chase Center GM Kim Stone on Wednesday. Stay safe and healthy. We'll talk to you then.